The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is a streaming freedom audio bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is the Dashing Duo, Derek and myself, Mike. And joining us is a writer, because he's got a great little book out, um, which I had it. And it is... You want me to give you a hint, or... I know it's... I just got to pull up my show file. (laughs) Something to do with voices. Vocal vocal recall, a life in radio, and voiceovers. Yes. I had to to find where I put it on my computer. (laughs) That's funny, and you couldn't recall the title. (laughs) Well, it's not the greatest title. It's funny. That was the, the working title. I actually like that title. Well, thank you. I, you know, it, it popped into my head, and I thought it was pretty good. And then I would suggest it to various people. They go, yeah, and they kind of talked me out of it. And I said, all right, well, that's just a placeholder till we come up with a really great title. And then I got all kinds of suggestions, and oh, you know, fifty different things. And I kept coming back to Vocal Recall. I just couldn't come up with anything better. And so finally, somebody said, "Well, you know, you got to make a decision. What's the title?" I said, "I guess it's Vocal Recall." So, for better or for worse, there it is. And that voice you're hearing right now, who who just gave us that first explanation about the book, is actor and voice talent Neil Ross, who we we know from Transformers, from G.I. Joe, um, has some stuff with Spider-Man, uh, and a bunch of other cartoons, and we'll get into that here in a, in a bit. But I want to talk more about the book. Um, I know when we had you over on Mighty Marvel Geeks. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time, Transformers and G.I. Joe were part of the Marvel comic franchises, or were Marvel comic franchises, so that's how we tied it in. Um, we talked a little bit about the book there. Fill us in on uh, why do a book about recapping your history. Well, I didn't set out to write a book. Uh, it was sort of snuck up on me. I, I did a, a live appearance with an, another actor I'm sure you're familiar with, Rob Paulson. Yes. 
Uniacs and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a million other things. And uh, he does a podcast that's called Talkin' Tunes. I, and I have not he, gotten to your episode yet. I am behind on his show. I love his show. He does it in the studio. He has a studio set up, but occasionally he goes on the road. And the first yeah. time I, I was with him, he had a he had a Transformers night at the Improv in Los Angeles and uh, invited me. And I was really nervous about it because I said, well, the Improv, I mean, that's a legendary comedy venue and uh, I'm not a comedian. Uh, I don't know if I belong there. But I screwed up my courage and um, went down and uh, it was lovely. The, the place was packed with Transformers fans and I had a ball. And I, I thought, boy, you know, what if I wrote a little monologue and then I could book myself into who knows where and I could do the monologue and then take questions from the audience. And so I started to write this monologue. And at a certain point, I realized this is <laughs> way too long for a monologue. And I, I don't know what I'm doing at this point. And uh, eventually I started to play a game with myself because I never thought I could write a book. The whole idea of writing a book was so intimidating. So I said, I'm not writing a book. I'm just writing this chapter, and I may stop after this chapter. I don't know. And I would finish the chapter. Then I'd get an idea for another chapter. And, well, all right, I'll write that chapter. But I'm not writing a book, just writing this chapter. And when I was about uh, two-thirds of the way through the thing, I realized, you know, if you keep going, you will have a book. And that's ultimately what happened. So I, I sort of fell into it, really. Now, the book is available on Amazon? Yes, it's available at Amazon. It's available. Well, the, the best thing to do is probably go to my website or one of my websites, the one I created for the book. It's cleverly called www.neilbook.com, N-E-I-L-B-O-O-K.com. That has all kinds of links. Or you can just put Vocal Recall Neil Ross into Google or Amazon. I'm sure it'll take you where you need to go. If you're looking for an audio version, there's one at my website. There's also one on Audible. I got most all the bases covered, I think. Oh, I know I have the preview copy that you sent us, um, and Derek has a copy of it as well. But I am looking forward to ordering a actual physical copy. Aha, uh -huh, good for you. And I will probably order it off your site and put in the notes to possibly have you autograph it, if you would. Well, uh, book plates are available, which sounds a lot more glamorous than it really is. But they're small uh, uh, sticker type things, which I can sign and send to you and you can just put them in the book. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so and that's yeah. that's available on the website too. Awesome. So in the book, you you start off that you start off in radio. Yeah, uh, and then from there flipped into voice acting. Um, well, it wasn't so much flipping as clawing and and scratching my way in. But yes, yes, and that was after that was after twenty years of radio. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. I, it's difficult. It's it's funny. I was uh, on a website that caters to old radio guys, and, and they they were making the point that to younger people, you talk about having been a top 40 AM radio disc jockey. They don't even know what you're talking about. The radio today bears little or no resemblance to the radio back then. Right. And you have to remember, try to put yourself into a time frame. I don't know how old you guys are, but you're a lot younger than I are than I am. I can tell that. But just try to picture a world in which there's no Internet at all. None of that stuff. Uh, we, we lived it. Yeah. Yep. 
We yeah, lived it. I've been there. All you've got is uh, three, four, five TV stations yeah. and six or eight AM radio stations. And that's about it. And if you want to hear a song, you either go down to the record store and pay money to buy it, or you hear it on the radio. If your town is big enough to support a top 40 station or wonder of wonders, maybe two of them. And in those days, disc jockeys on a local level were kind of a big deal because we were the conduits to the music. And now, of course, uh, somebody wants to hear a song, they just tap up their iPhone and in about 30 seconds, they've got the song playing. And so who the hell needs disc jockeys, you know? But back then you were kind of a local level, kind of a star. It was kind of a fun thing to do. Well, you'll you'll be proud of me then. Uh, My daughter is 10, turns 11 in November, and we listen to the oldies station. Well, yeah, (laughs) I can safely say oldies. Um, A lot of 70s, 80s, 90s stuff we grew up on. That's (laughs) depressing. Oh, she loves it. She says it's much better than a lot of the stuff that's on the radio now that's current top 40. Um, So I'm raising her right. But she loves it because she loves the D with this particular stuff station that we listen to they they interact sort of like the djs from back in the day when when i was a kid mm. and and she loves that and she loves that whole vibe and well that's good to hear i mean i'm i'm led to believe that that kind of radio is almost dead at this point but if it's going on somewhere, I'm thrilled to hear about it. I, I, I honestly love the radio business uh, right up until I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so how talk a little bit um, in the book about your transition from radio to voice acting. Um, can, can you talk, you know, give our listeners a little bit of that synopsis? Sure. Absolutely. Cause I, I don't, I don't want to go too far because I want people to buy your book. Cause it's a great book. Oh, uh, thank you. I, well, I, I, I love the book. I think we can talk about that without, uh, you know, uh, jeopardizing any sales. Um, What happened was when I got in the radio business, I discovered that most radio stations, in fact, all radio stations have not one but two studios. There is the primary studio, the air studio, and that's where everything that you hear on the air happens. But there is a second studio that's called the production studio or the production room. And that's where all the commercials and the promos are created. And most DJs hated that work. It was it was just it was work to them. It wasn't fun. But to me, for some reason, it was fun because uh, I could I could sort of I could I could be creative. I could choose a piece of music that fit the mood of the piece of copy I was voicing and then try to match my voice to the mood of the music and create a whole kind of feeling, not just reading words off a piece of paper. And I began to have some of my best successes in radio in the production studio rather than in the main studio. And as I got more and more into this, I began to wonder, well, now, who are these people I'm hearing voicing television commercials and and voicing the radio commercials that come in from the big ad agencies in New York and Los Angeles? And who are the people who voice these cartoons and all the rest of it? And I had a sort of a working theory that they were on camera people who moonlighted, picked up a couple extra bucks doing this stuff. But then in the early 70s, I discovered there was this business called voiceover, which was a very well-kept secret in those days. Now everybody knows about it. But back then, nobody knew it existed. And really, there were just a relative handful of performers doing it. 
And I thought, this is, I've got to do this. This is just a perfect fit for me. We haven't discussed it, but I've been fooling around with character voices and accents since I was about five years old. And I really didn't get to use any of that much in radio. But I thought, damn, this voiceover thing, it's perfect for me. I got to get in this business. And I discovered that at the time, really, you had to either be in New York or Los Angeles. That's no longer true, but back then it was. And so I put on a full court press to get a radio job in Los Angeles so I could hopefully transition into voiceovers. And that uh, that happened in 1978. And it took me about five years before I suddenly realized, I think I'm in the business. You know, I was working just enough to where, yeah, this is real now. This is no longer a dream. It's actually starting to come true. Mm-hmm. And so, and that involved a lot, a lot of going to workshops and, 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 and coaches and, you know, we can get into that or not, but that's, that's the bare bones story of how it happened. So I, w- I was right starting the prime, my cartoon watching experience when you were getting your first couple gigs then. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you said yeah. uh, that was 78. So figure what, 79, 80 is when you, you really. No, I think I, th- I think the first animation work I did was about 82. Okay. Um, so right at the uh, right at nice. the peak of, of my I'm 50. I had uh, just turned 50 uh, last month at the end of last month. So, yeah, I'm right there at the prime of all, yeah, my, all your stuff. My big year yeah, roughly 84 to 94, 95. Yeah. That uh, one year period was a, my best years. <laughs> well, for animation, those were the, the, those, that's oh. when it really cooking for me. I, yeah, those are the best. I was still watching cartoons as an adult until that final day when they said, yep, this is the last day we're ever putting Saturday morning cartoons out. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no, please, no. It's time for them to come back. Mm-hmm. It really is. Well, you know, the, the problem was the arrival of cable television and uh, Cartoon Network and um, Nickelodeon. And I watched it happen in my house because my daughter was prime uh, cartoon age. Yeah. And the minute she figured out there were two places on the dial that showed cartoons all day long, well, then why go to Channel 2 on Saturday morning? I mean, that meant nothing to her. She was right there. You know, here, here are the cartoons, obviously, yeah. where they are. This is where they always are. Oh, I, I rode I roadmap even at at the end i roadmapped what do i watch or what do i record so i can watch it later if i have to go to work oh, yeah. early i did too uh and i bounced between um well there near the end uh, i was wb kids which is uh now cw uh mm-hmm. cartoon network uh fox and abc i think that's all that was left because cbs and and nbc were already doing their uh Saturday Today show or Today Saturday and the CBS This Morning Saturdays. So it was just those three networks and then Cartoon Network is where mm-hmm. I was getting the majority of my mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, at some point it no longer became economically uh, viable to run that, the stuff mm-hmm. on the networks on Saturday mornings. I don't know exactly when that happened, but. See, that's, that's a shame. Well, I think that's when they lost that audience to, uh, you know, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. It's just. uh, Yeah. I remember back in 1984, I was 10 years old. It was uh, the best time for cartoons for me. 
um, all and you've you've done a lot of the a lot of voices on a lot of the shows I used to watch. Yeah, of course, you know Transformers, GI Joe, all that. But also, I see uh, <clears throat> I used to watch like Visionaries and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Inhumanoids, Bionic Six, mm-hmm. uh, yep. all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So well, I definitely grew up with your voice. Oh, thank you. Well, as I mentioned in the book, uh, I really have Ronald Reagan to thank for that my cartoon career. Because he got in and he put a guy in charge of the FCC who, like he, was uh, interested in deregulation. And that's when they deregulated uh, a lot of children's television. And it suddenly became mm-hmm. economically feasible to uh, record and syndicate shows on the weekday afternoons. Yep. And that's where all of these shows ended up. And uh, suddenly uh, there was a lot of work out there and a relatively small talent pool at the time. And we just uh, we just uh, we were running all over the place trying to show up for these these various sessions. The first big uh, breakthrough for me was Voltron, Defender of the Universe. Oh, yes. Because I got my favorite uh, Keith and, and they were going to do 125 mm-hmm. of them. They did. And I thought, well, I guess I'm in the business now. <laughs> so what was oh, it? I love Voltron. Voltron was the, the lions. I, I loved more than than the vehicles. Well, yeah, even though the vehicles did. came first. Yeah, I don't see. We never saw any of these or almost never did because they ran in the afternoons and we'd be working somewhere. So we weren't home to watch. Uh, yeah, the, the Voltron thing is is kind of interesting. It was uh, the, the brainchild of a guy named Peter Keefe. And he found out about this deregulation thing and he thought, what's the fastest way I can get something on the air? And he decided to buy three existing Japanese shows and revoice them. And he ended up not using one of the three. The other two were the uh, Voltrons with the vehicles and the Voltrons with the lions. Yeah, right. And uh, they were going to just revoice the episodes. And then for a variety of reasons, they found out that wouldn't work. So they sat down and they commissioned original scripts. And then they would have to comb through the footage they had to find pictures that would fit this plot they'd written. Can you imagine? It's like four-dimensional chess. They had to wow. be their minds. I thankfully was not involved in that part of the process. But, uh, yeah, we came along. Uh, and it was a little bit different because in, in, in most animation, the first thing that happens after somebody writes a script is they record the voices. And then the animators animate to those voice tracks. But with Voltron, we had an already existing picture, so we had to voice to fit the picture. It was a a reverse uh, deal. So we never worked as a full cast because it just wasn't practical. You would have a line and there would be a number next to it, like 6.5, and that would be 6.5 seconds. And you had to do the line in exactly 6.5 seconds. Well, they'd, uh, they'd allow you to go 6.4 or 6.6, 6, but no further on either side. So a lot of times, you know, you'd hear, well, that's that's the that's the reading, but uh, we needed a second quicker. Oh, now you're a little too quick. Uh, we, can you stretch it out a little? And back. And some of the lines were like 23, 24 seconds, and you're trying to hit a precise time. And wow. it was maddening. Uh, sometimes you'd absolutely nail a lovely read and they'd say, yeah, but it's a second and a half long. You're going to tighten it up. And, uh, yeah, it was so difficult. Where, yeah, where? It was, it was kind of like work, but I, I enjoyed it. 
Whereas today, oh, yeah. whereas today they could go in and, and do a little truncate silence or auto trim crop just to pick up the pace just a hair more. So oh, they yeah. Take, so they could take that perfect read. Yeah, digital has changed everything. I yeah. mean, in, in the world of promos, there were guys who uh, were so good, you know, the, the television promo where tonight on this, bang, and you hear somebody say something, <laughs> Len, at 10 o'clock, it's laughs with so-and-so. And they're, you know, they got to fit themselves in these little tiny yeah. holes. And in, in, in the analog days, you just had to hit the timing. That's all. I mean, there was no fudging. You either hit it or you didn't. And some guys were just so phenomenally good at that. I never was. Now you go in and, and you, you, you know, you, you've gone too long. You've stepped on the actor's dialogue and you go, I'm sorry, I'll do it. And no, we can fix it in here. Just sit tight. We'll fix it. You know? And they do some magic thing with the knobs and they go, okay, we're fine. Moving on. You know? Now, um, I, want, I want to touch back on, on your radio. Uh, you said you loved being in the production studio. Did that give you later when you went into voice acting a, a greater appreciation of, of the audio engineers and um, have a better idea what they were going to be looking for on, well, on what they're going to have to do. Yeah. Well, of course, you're not working for them. You're working with them. Uh, you're working right. for the director or the producer. Well, it gave me an under, you know, when I first started out, I would, I knew exactly what these engineers were doing. And by the way, the, the engineers that I encountered in Los Angeles were just absolutely the best. I can't say enough good things about the engineers. They're the best. But I knew what they were doing. In a pinch, I could have jumped in and done it myself because I had that radio background. Right. And then suddenly the tape recorders have all disappeared and we have mm. the screens with little squiggles on them and the guys are typing things on uh, keyboards. And I'm saying, what the hell are they doing? And, uh, you know, and, uh, f for a while I was utterly, completely befuddled. I, I, I couldn't make head or tail of it. And eventually some of them took pity on me and showed me what they were doing. And, of course, now i got a little setup at home. Everybody does. I I'm one so of that the little transition absolutely blew my mind. I'm one of those guys. Uh, well, I I'm 33 years plus in the entertainment industry myself, um, doing audio and some lighting. Uh, starting off in in the theater world, and now I'm I'm working at Walt Disney World. But when I went to get formal training at school here in Orlando, the digital was like Yamaha was just coming out with their digital console, uh, the small profile digital console, the old O1V. I'm like, I remember how intimidating seeing some of that was. And then once I get to Disney and we're, we're starting to bring the digital desks there, I'm like, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought, but I would still rather have the old analog. Hmm. Old I, but I see I, benefits I, of the two. You're probably old enough to have spliced tape, right? Oh, I've spliced yeah. good, good many mileage of tape. If I had a dollar for every splice I've pulled. Well, it just amazes me that in my lifetime, we've gone from a guy physically cutting a piece of yep. tape with a gem razor blade and pasting it back together again yep. to digital. You know, I feel like a guy who started his life uh, driving a horse and buggy, and now I'm in charge <laughs> of a rocket ship. You know, it's like, the transition is just amazing. But 
I got to be honest, I wouldn't want to go back. I do things now sometimes with this little digital program I have, and I think that would have taken 10 minutes in the old days, and I just did it in about 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't work, I can just hit uh, delete, and uh, I'm back where I started, you know. Yeah. Some splices, you probably remember this. It was do or die. If you didn't oh, yeah. get it right this time, you were screwed. You yep. couldn't fix it. <laughs> That's why... Like when when I was in college, um, I'm a freshman. I was making 150 bucks a senior project, helping seniors splice their their senior project mm. before the end of the first semester. And um, first thing I had them do before I even touched their reel was I told them clone it. That way, if there's a mistake, <laughs> you're yep. not screwed. Yep. And we could we could go in and. And, and trick it. And and how many times were you, did you find yourself in the middle of a session with about four little pieces of tape draped around your neck that uh, you might might want to put back in? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody who, who, who'd never experienced that just knows digital listening to us. It, we must sound like, you know, guys who, who were with a Donner party. Well, <laughs> one, one second of audio was almost three inches of tape. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it'd be, it would be seven and a half inches of tape. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or possibly 15. It could be three and three quarter, but nobody used that speed, at least not professionally. True, true. Yeah. Now the, nobody what we're talking about. Now, the, the tough one, <laughs> and I, I only did it a handful of times, is when I had to splice um, two-inch tape. Mm, never did that. And I, I, like I said, I probably did it a handful of times. So, but I had, I had one instructor who wanted us to literally cut it where it almost looked like staircases mm. because on one track, it was further back and another track it was closer. I'm like, you are absolute. And we had to tick every little section. I'm like, you are insane. I can't even, I can't even see where I'm at. It's like, well, you know roughly where the tape heads are. Track one, I want you to splice here. Track two, splice it. You're nuts. I did it. I hated yeah. every minute of it, but I did it. I was like, uh, yeah, can we just throw this in the computer and do it there instead? Because you got to do it once. Well, I did it five times. Mm. Now, um, getting into the voice acting business, what were, what's your favorite story of how you got in or one of your favorite stories? Well, how I got in, I don't know if I've got a, an appropriate story for that. It was a, it was a very slow uh, transition. It, it happened in, in increments. And I don't remember any huge, dramatic welcome to show business moment. I just sort of woke up on the other side, realizing I'm in the business. I think I... I'm not where I want to be, but I'm I've reached a level that uh, to where I think I can hang in there. This really doesn't answer your question, but it, it just triggered in my mind. Also, I'm, I'm in my book. I mention a another book that was written by a woman who was a very big agent in the uh, 60s and 70s. And she wrote this thing, uh, this book titled uh, How to Break Into Commercials, Movies, Television, and uh, etc. How to Get Into Show Business kind of book. And she didn't even devote a chapter to voiceovers. She just devoted a few pages. And she basically said, forget about it. Now, this was what was going on in the late 70s. This does not apply to today by any means. <clears throat> but in those days, she said, look... 
It's a, it's a very tight-knit little group of people who are phenomenally talented. They're probably the most talented people in show business. Unless you are able to compete on their level, you'll never make it. It's probably not worth your time to even try. Uh, just because you were the afternoon guy on uh, KW whatever in San Bernardino does not mean that you can get into voiceovers. And uh, she, uh, she really painted a, a, a bleak picture. And fortunately, I didn't stumble across her book until I had actually gotten into the business. Uh, it was sitting on a coffee table someplace where I was auditioning and I had some time to kill and I read it and I read that and I thought, thank God I didn't read this 10 years ago because I don't know if I would have tried. <laughs> Um, so maybe that was an, a, a moment that I, I kind of treasure thinking, my God, I made it in what she, this top agent, regarded as an almost impossible business to break into. And that uh, gave me a little wow. feeling of pride. Now you, you said yeah. you said Voltron was the, the first thing you did. That was the first uh, big uh, animation project, yes. I mean, there are categories in voiceovers, you must understand. There right. are commercials, there are promos, there's animation. And a lot of the people who, the producer types, know nothing about the other areas of the business. They ask us, you know, sometimes I go to do a commercial and they'll say, you all, you do animation too, right? Yeah. yeah. What's that like? How does that work? They, they have no idea. It's like a completely wow. alien. We're the only people who sort of drift in and out of all of these different genres. And uh, I talk, I talked myself into a box canyon here. I don't know where I was going with this, but I'm just trying to I explain that it's uh, right. the business okay. kind of spread out over different things like promos and right. uh, narrations. Then, and the, then it, I guess that leads me to to re, re, reword the question. Voltron was your first animation project. First big one. I had right. done guest shots on various shows, but this was the first time I had a lead role in a big series. Did you know at the time that it was going to take off the way it did? No, or, I didn't. Or, or when when did you know that the show was essentially a, a cult hit? I think I went to, down to San Diego where I had uh, spent a number of years. And uh, people said, what are you doing? And I'm, I said, well, I'm, I'm in this show called Voltron. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I've seen that. And I thought, yes, of course they've seen it. It's running all over the damn country. What's, what's wrong with me? You know, and <laughs> sort of forget. I, I, but no, we, we had no idea. I mean, people, people say to this day at conventions, did you guys ever think that Transformers and G.I. Joe would still be popular 35 years later? And the answer is no. The um, conventional wisdom in those days was that most of these shows would last two or three years and then the kids would outgrow them and there'd be a new pop of kids, but they'd want new shows. They wouldn't want the old shows. And so... Once in a while, a show like The Smurfs would last for, I think it was seven years, but that was yeah. very unusual. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, you'd two or three years canceled and immediately forgotten, stuck on a shelf somewhere, and it was over. And uh, I guess we figured that would be the same with the, the Voltrons and the G.I. Joes and the Transformers. And we're all absolutely astonished at what's happened. I mean, entire conventions are built around uh, Transformers. Understandably, they're fans of the, the live-action movies and not just G1 fans. But let's face it, we started this thing. 
you know. Oh yeah. So well, there's a, there's also conventions. I'll, I'll always be a G1 fan. There's also conventions for GI Joe as well. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And they, there, I think there was even one for Voltron. I'm not sure. Somebody told me about really? it. Really? That, yeah. that I did not know. I'm sure there is. A, I'm sure there probably is. Well, I, I figure it'd be it'd be tied in with with anime conventions for sure. But standalone Voltron, well, yeah, that would be that would be cool to go go check out. It definitely has its own. Now, I'm curious to know, uh, not only have you done a lot of my favorite animated series, cartoons, but you've also been in a lot of my favorite video games, um, including the Mass Effect series, where you were uh, the voice that helped me get through the entire codex there, learning about the world of Mass Effect. I don't know if I'd have uh, been able to get through it, all of that, without out your voice well <laughs> I was... a lot of information there. <laughs> yeah. but um i'm curious to know the first time you, you moved into into doing video game voice work was it a big change from the other voice work you did or is it just is is it a big difference or just similar uh it, it's kind of different for a couple of reasons uh, you work alone now. There may be instances in some games where the where more than one actor works, but I never have. I, I'm always alone, and you really don't, in a lot of cases, have scenes to play. You're doing isolated lines. I guess you're interacting with the right. play, and you don't really know what's going on. And mm. sometimes the director doesn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> so you sort of have to make up an imaginary scenario in your head and play off of that. Uh, and it's a little, it requires a lot of concentration. If you're playing, well, all acting does, but if you're playing a scene, you know, I'm going to get you. Oh, no, you're not. You know, you, 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 there's a rhythm to it. But if I'm just, right. oh, no, you're not, and I don't know why I'm reading it, <laughs> that takes a little <laughs> more effort. And um, that's probably the biggest difference. And um, do they give you basic ideas of what the game is or anything at all? It varies. Um, Mm. But I I must, you know, you just sort of play the basic emotions. I mean, I tell people if you're a fan of Transformers, I guarantee, you know, 10 times more about the show than I did when I worked on it. Uh, I showed up the first time and uh, there wasn't any show Bible, as they call them. You know, most shows have a Bible just sort of just explains the premise of the show and the different characters and how they interact. There was none of that. I just Mm -hmm. was thrown in a studio standing next to Peter Cullen going, I'm ready to get it or whatever it was he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> just, well, I guess this makes sense to somebody, and I'll just do the best I can. <laughs> and I, I did most of that show not having a clue what it was about, you know. And so you can kind of uh, fake your way through things. It's kind of the same with games. I mean, uh, you know, pre- prepare to die. Well, you're probably... Probably a little a little miffed when you say that. So, you know, prepare to die. It's just a question of how big <laughs> they want it or how or prepare to die. Depends on. And then, mm. you know. Well, I, I'm going to say one of my favorite video game characters that you played is from another series that I, I used to, to love playing. That's when you were the narrator for the Leisure Suit Larry series. <laughs> 
I yeah. loved that series. I loved doing that job. It was uh, that cynical read. You know, okay, Larry, now you're yeah. blah blah blah. You know, I just uh, yeah, I was I was uh, in stitches uh, all the way through that thing. It was, I never I never played any of these games. I don't know. I, was Leisure Suit Larry fun to play? Yes, very much oh. so. Because it, it was—it's a very interesting game. I, for for me, it, it came out uh, when I was in college, mm-hmm. if I remember right, eighty-seven. So yeah, it was, uh, in the in the high school, beginning of college. So my junior junior year of high school, and it was like getting it in high school, and, and my dad just ignoring what it was. <laughs> I'm sure he knew uh, with you know some of the video game stuff he was reading uh, back in the day, but. Yeah, to go. Yeah, I got this game that is borderline being censored, <laughs> and and just very well. As you know, some of the the crude humor in it, very eighties Italian type guy humor behind it. Larry himself, I'm like, he thinks he's a he's a ladies man, mm-hmm. and it was just having fun. Going, okay, how can I screw? How can I screw up his life in this game? <laughs> was a, for for a few times I played. That was the goal. Can I complete this game and screw up his life completely? Or can I make him a, a total success? Well, that was a fun game for me. I, I love that that narrator and his attitude. The yeah. only game I'm close to playing, my daughter uh, was playing something called The Curse of Monkey Island. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which I was in. And uh, I would sort of try to help her navigate through it. She'd get terribly frustrated, and I wasn't very helpful. I finally, I in a computer store, I found a book that showed you, yeah, showed the some of the cheat, or helped you get the clues. And so I said, "Here, take this book and sin no more." I got to. I can't do this. I can't help you with. <laughs> I, I love those. Are some of my favorite games from from Lucas Arts mm-hmm. when those came out? What's the Monkey Island well, series? The story I tell in the book it's it's amazing. The the first. Uh, game I ever worked on was called Stunt Island. It was about guys filming stunts for silent movies on an island. And there were exactly nine, count them, nine lines of dialogue. The game was released on <laughs> floppy disks, if anybody remembers yep. those. Oh, and yes. They said, we only, we only have room for nine lines. Can you imagine? <laughs> and I walked out of there and I thought, well, I don't see any future for this stuff. <laughs> and uh, several years later, I'm doing the narrator in Mass Effect. With, you know, I'm reading, you know, it's longer than War and Peace, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow they found room for all of it, plus all the actors, you know. Just oh. astonishing how, oh, yeah. how how the technology just leapfrogged, you know. Now, how did you end up going from Voltron to G.I. Joe? Well, my agent had made uh, friends with... Uh, Wally Burr, who was the voice director on both Transformers and G.I. Joe. And Wally uh, was very generous. My agent was kind of struggling. And when he met her, he was kind of struggling. And he they bonded a little bit. And he said, any time you want to send your people over to audition for me, just pick up the phone. You got it. And so she got some of us in there. And uh, uh, she got me in for an audition. And I got the character of Buzzer. It was the blonde-haired uh, 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 dreadnought with the, yep. um, the uh, what do you call it, chainsaw. Yeah. 
And, ah, yes. and then uh, not too long after that, I was called in to read for another part. And this appeared to be a fella in a sailor suit. <laughs> and uh, we can talk about that if you want. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite. I love Buzzer. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love you played heavy metal. Mm-hmm. I loved heavy metal. I love Dusty. But when I- I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there, if people don't know by your clue, person in a sailor suit we're talking shipwreck that's right mateys it's your old pal <laughs> shipwreck here <laughs> and, uh, uh, hasbro just came out with this new uh gi joe line called classified and they're six inch figures and mm. I, when when we talked about them on this show the release what was one of the first things i, I said i was wanting in an in upcoming wave Derek, i want shipwreck. Uh, tunnel rat I want shipwreck. <laughs> I want shipwreck with with the parrot. Well, oh, that, yeah, that's one of the most uh, one of the most popular characters I've had the privilege of doing. I think I hear about him. I hear about the Green Goblin in uh, Spider Man, and yep. of course uh, Ultron yeah. and uh, Springer in Transformers. Those are probably the biggest parts I've ever been lucky enough to play. Well. You also played another character based on a, a real life character, a real life, uh, well, yeah, a real life character, real life person. Uh, when you did the voice of Mean Gene Oakland and Hulk Hogan's yeah. Rock and Wrestling, yes, yeah. which yeah. at the time when that show came out, I'm like, okay, cool, they got the rest. I don't know how the wrestlers found the time to do all this. Then, you know, as I mm. grew up to be, a, you know, become an adult and IMDb, and it's like, wait, none of the wrestlers are involved with this. Yeah. How, how to, to do Mean Gene, was it, I know I, I've jumped the gun, we'll get back over G.I. Joe and, and Transformers. Was it, did they allow you some leeway or did they say, here, here's tapes, listen to them, and we want an impersonation? Well, the the whole thing was impersonations. We were, you know, they were trying to get sound alikes for the wrestlers as close as they could. And I went in and, you know, all those, all those wrestlers that talk like this, and, uh, which I can sort of fake. But really, you know, in order to get that, you, you need to find guys who naturally have voices like that. Yeah. And so I thought, I, I don't have a hope in hell of getting anything in this. And then I saw that there was this drawing of Mean Gene with a microphone. And I said, I can do that. And the guy running the audition didn't want me to do it. He said, oh, they're probably not even going to use that character. Ah, don't waste your time with that. Here, read this throat ripper. And he keeps thrusting copy at me. And I keep <laughs> circling around. And going, I'd really like to do an, uh, lay down a mean gene thing for you. Oh, forget mean gene. Here, try this. Finally, just before I'm leaving, he says, all right, you can have one take, you know. And I hurriedly threw a take on tape. And to my amazement, I got that part, didn't get any of the others. And they, they put him in every show. Sometimes he only had one line, but he was in the show. Yeah. So it was a nice. And really, it was, uh, well, he's another radio guy, you know, and yeah. I, Lord knows I did enough of that. So it was just a quick question. I don't think I can do it anymore. It's been so damn long, but. Pitching my voice down and talking very quickly, and that's not anything like what he sounded, but I, I was a, a lot better when I did it. Trust me, kids. I haven't thought about it or done it in a long time. But Have you have you met him? No, never met him. Oh, wow. I believe he's no longer with us. Yeah. If he is, apologize, Gene. I believe, yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He, he passed away in the, uh, sometime in the last couple of years. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Now, um, so with Shipwreck, I, I rem- want to say I remember you saying on Mighty Marvel Geeks, 
that you're playing a character who outranked you mm-hmm. uh, from your time <laughs> when you were in the service, which we thank you for your time in the service. Oh, you're more than welcome. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, he. there's some interesting parallels. We're both from San Diego. I spend most of my time in a community called Ocean Beach. He's from Chula Vista. And yes, he was, uh, I believe he was an E7... I've forgotten. He's not a master chief. He's one below. And I forget. I always forget what that is. But anyway, I was just a lowly E4 uh, when I finally uh, bid the Navy a fond farewell. So, yes, technically he outranks me. (laughs) Interesting. I'm looking on Wikipedia and they're saying in 1994, he was repackaged as a Navy SEAL. Really? Yeah. Well, he could do worse. They're good guys. (laughs) Sure, sure. Uh, but I did not see Have anything. You, I don't see anything about his rank. Oh, E7. Yeah. yeah. He was a uh, chief. He's petty. a senior chief, not a master chief. He's a senior chief, I believe. Uh, in 85, when you portrayed him, he was uh, a chief petty. Mm-hmm. And then later got bumped up, uh, I guess, in the comics to an E8. Well, that would be. A, that's your senior chief. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Which is amazing, considering all the trouble he got into. But <laughs> doing ha, having done multiple characters, have you ever had to do scenes with with your with yourself with your own characters? Oh yeah, that happens. And usually, when you get to a point like that, the director will give you the option. They'll say, uh, "Do you want to try to do both, or do you want to do one at a time?" And I'll read the feed lines to you, and depending on how you're feeling at at the moment, you either do one or the other. And um, the guy who's absolutely phenomenal at that is Frank Welker. He's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Ah, really? Yeah, I tell really? story, I Frank Welker. I tell a story in my book where he was doing a scene with himself playing both characters and he was jumping in and out so fast that Wally Burr cut him off. He thought he'd heard an overlap. That's when one, you know, the first syllable of another actor's line uh, stomps on the last syllable of the previous actor's line. They call that an overlap. And that's the kind of a no, no in animation because they might want to slide the line around. So Frank is his wailing through this scene, playing both parts. And Wally goes, Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we've got to stop. We had an overlap. And we're screaming at him, Wally, how can there be an overlap? It's the same actor. (laughs) (laughs) And Wally was very embarrassed. But that just shows you how how fast Frank is. You know, he he fooled and God knows what he'd heard enough uh, voice tracks in his Uh day. Yeah, Frank is... uh, He's an amazing, amazing guy and the nicest, humblest fella you'd ever want to meet. And if if there's anybody who's entitled to have a little bit of an attitude, it would be Frank. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he just doesn't have it. He's just a genuinely nice person. It's uh, well, you know, most that's, that's awesome. are. Uh, I, I, there's about one and a half people that kind of irritated me in the business. Otherwise, I loved everybody. They're very voice people, at least back in the day. I don't get around as much as I did, and maybe it's changing. But back in the day, just the nicest, most generous, uh, friendly, welcoming people you'd ever want to be around. None of the... Yeah, None of the awesome. star games that uh, get played in, in, in this town, not not in the voiceover business. It This definitely mm-hmm. confirms more and more that I would love to go out to L.A. and just shadow a few recording sessions of a of a cartoon oh, yeah. recording session. Uh, one, just to see what what my peers are doing 
behind the console and two just to watch the magic of what happens in in the room yeah it, it sometimes i pinch i would pinch myself it's like how did i get in here this is just so amazing some of the performances i've seen and heard and uh, some of the some of the you know some of the humor that that happens in the studios i mean it's like going to a great party they just don't serve liquor and <laughs> Once in a while, interrupt and make you work, you know. <laughs> but, uh, what was there ever a moment? And if there was, who was it where you walked into a studio and you were completely starstruck with who was in the room? I think it was the first time I got to work at Hanna-Barbera. Uh, they called me in to do a guest uh, shot on a show called Richie Rich. Okay. And, uh, Hanna-Barbera was a little bit like a movie studio. They weren't as large, but they had a guard and a gate and and the whole business. And just the feeling of driving up to that gate and saying my name and having the guy say, oh, yes, sir. And the gate flies up and I'm in, I'm in. And then I walk in and I probably in my mind, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, there are, there are more people there than really were there. But I, I do remember uh, the, the the legendary Joni Gerber was on that session, and uh, Lenny Weinrib, and maybe these names don't mean much to you guys. I don't know, but in in those no. days, like the Clark Gable, I, I know. Vivian of voiceovers, and mm-hmm. just to be in the same room and watch how they rehearsed and watched how they marked their scripts, and I think Michael Bell was there too. He was another superstar of of that era. And I was just so thrilled to be in the same room with those folks and get to work with them. That that I've never forgotten that. What between transfer? Uh, I guess this will this will apply to both Transformers and GI Joe favorite episodes or story arcs. Well, I think uh, you know, selfishly, my favorite uh, story arc would be from. Um, uh, G.I. Joe, uh, the shipwreck episodes uh, about Springfield. We'll always yep. have Springfield. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, he was a featured character in those two. And uh, I got to play a lot of shadings of mood. And, and uh, there were very strange episodes. I, I talked to fans who say, you know, I saw that when I was a kid and it just really messed up my mind for a while. <laughs> You know, it was a, it was a very strange uh, couple of episodes, but a lot of fun to work on. And then I I look back and I enjoy some of the stuff that I did in uh, Spider Man in in the nineties, uh, the Norman Osborn Green Goblin yeah. playing both of those parts and transitioning between Osborn and the Goblin. And uh, there's this one scene still uh, that's that's up on um, on YouTube where he's talking to himself in the mirror and he's going in and out of uh, the uh, the Green Goblin character, and uh, somebody who called my attention to it said, "Did you do that all in one take, or did they splice that?" And I said, "God, I don't remember. I hope I did it all in one take. <laughs> I think I did, but uh, I, I can swear to it. But I looked at it. And I thought because I'm I'm my 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 biggest critic is me, and I said, you know, that's that's not half bad." <laughs> I'm actually kind of pleased with that, you know. It must have been a lot of fun playing both roles. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could really cut loose as as the Green Goblin. But Mm. the director, Tony Pastor, uh, wanted nothing less than uh, a total commitment. And uh, I did a lot of takes and it was up here. Hi, 
and screaming. And I would sometimes walk out of the studio with no voice and a splitting headache. But I think it was worth it. That's, that's one of the more rewarding characters. And people remember it, you know, and that's the nice thing. Oh, yes. Uh, you, you, you are also the lead role and probably one of the most confusing choices of a cartoon because of the movies. That's where you played Rambo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you have an interesting story in, about Rambo in, in the book. Which one are you referring to? Give me a hint. Uh, I want to say it's the one where you talk about here. Here's the character who so the audition. The, mean, no, it was maybe I, maybe I'm remembering the story that you told us on Mighty Marvel Geeks instead. But you were just the whole. Here's a character who would have been like the last choice for a cartoon. And here he is on Saturday mornings. Yeah. No, there was a lot of controversy about that show. One of the stories that I tell in the book is sitting home one evening, fat, dumb, and happy, watching uh, Siskel and Ebert at the movies. Remember that show? They would review movies, give it thumbs up or thumbs up. Yep. And suddenly in the middle of everything, one of them starts talking about, you know, there's going to be an animated version of Rambo. You're kidding. No, I'm not. I mean, this is disgusting. All this violence, these, and they're destroying the children. Hasn't Sylvester Stallone made enough money? And I'm sitting there going, you idiots. Sylvester Stallone has nothing to do with the animated Rambo. He's an, he didn't write Rambo. He doesn't own Rambo. He's a, He was just the guy who played him in in the movies and he had nothing to do with this cartoon never made a nickel off it you'd think they'd know that and then they admitted they hadn't actually watched it you understand but they knew it was bad and it, actually mm-hmm. the show was kind of laughably non-violent because it was under <laughs> much pressure that they they pulled back on the violence and there were actually shows out at the time that were far more violent than Rambo but because it was called Rambo it took a lot of heat and uh yeah, I thought it was a good show. It's it's unfortunately it's not one that uh, that the too many people remember. At least not judging by the conventions, you know, that it's not the yeah. one they want to talk about well, or I, whatever. I'm just looking through your the list of stuff you did, and I remember Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the animated series. Oh yeah, loved it. Yeah, yeah that was um, fun. I'm surprised we didn't touch on this on Mighty Marvel Geeks, um, but I I did not realize you were the voice of Nightcrawler in X Men Pride Pride of the X Men, yeah, which was oh. a series that was the pilot looked great, but it just didn't go anywhere. No, they never made the series, and and I think they they made a mistake because the number of people who remember that one pilot episode it's astonishing. Yep. Uh, it, it, it tells me they really should have gone ahead with it. And why they didn't, uh, I don't know. And See, I, I wasn't a big fan of the comics, the X-Men comics. But anytime, the, but anytime the X-Men appeared in the cartoons, I ate it up. I don't know why. Yeah, mm. I love the X-Men. I always loved the, the cartoons. Um, what, outside of... Obviously, G.I. Joe, Transformers, um, Voltron. What was one of your favorite roles that you did um, that that maybe people don't realize that that was you? Uh, People don't realize it's me. Uh, That's Mm. difficult. 
you know, if, if you're asking me what, what, are, what were, were favorite roles of mine that maybe people are not that familiar with or have forgotten about. We, we could do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. I had a lot of fun playing Whitley White on that show. He was the town newsman. And uh, he appeared to be the only broadcaster working in the little town of San Zucchini to the point where he would be at the studio and he would throw it to himself in the field. You know, <laughs> here with a live report on that is Whitley White. Whitley, thank you, Whitley. I'm down here at the pier or wherever. And I sort of based it on this uh, <laughs> local uh, newscaster type uh, that was very popular in the 50s and 60s and later ended up with a radio show and he was one of these guys who was in love with the sound of his own voice. And I sort of added that to the Whitley White character. And uh, it was so cleverly written that a lot of times I would be just uh, nanoseconds away from bursting out laughing. Somehow I got through all of it. But I was just this close to, to cracking up all the way through because it, the whole thing just was so funny and absurd. And a lovely cast of, uh, gosh, Kath Susie and uh, Maurice LaMarche and uh, yeah. Cam Clark and uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, and of course, the wonderful John Aston, yeah. who, uh, oh, yeah. who was the original Gomez in um, The Addams Family. And what a lovely man. I, I so enjoyed working mm. with him. I, I loved his acting career, uh, but is it wrong for me to say the only role that I just did not... He, he did good with what he had, with what he was able to do, but I don't think it was his best, or he he was the best, considering who he was replacing, was the Riddler, you know, having mm. to fill in for Frank Gorshin oh, yeah. for that second season of Batman um, from 66. Hmm. I didn't see that, so I can't comment. But yeah, uh, I love Ashton. John Ashton's work, mm-hmm. but it's that's the only role that I'm like, it's good, but he just didn't quite nail it. I sure hit the home home run with Gomez. Oh, oh yeah. I did a I did a voiceover in a sitcom. I don't know when this this probably late nineties. I'm not. I don't remember exactly, but they had written a sort of a gimmicky episode which involved bringing back three or four people who had been popular in on television in the sitcom. And so before before the show, uh, well, each each time their characters would come on, they would come out and the audience, of course, would uh, go nuts and applaud. But when they brought John out, they really went nuts. I mean, standing ovation that went on for minutes. And finally, the director had to come out and say, folks, we know you love John, but we we got a schedule. (laughs) Calm down, please. And I was so happy for him, you know, getting getting all that recognition and, and well deserved. He did a wonderful job in that part. Now, Bill and Ted had you know new movie is out, and they they make reference to your character or one of your characters, that, or they made reference to the tw- one the station who you were one of the the station twins. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> how did how does something like that? Because I'm looking at some of the other movies. Um, voices that you did uh, or movie roles and it's announcer here, radio announcer there, which okay, typecast, I understand because your radio background but some like station, how how did that come about? And, and when you were approached to do it, what what was that like? 
Well, it was a very, a very intimidating day because what happened was uh, this was not the original Bill and Ted. This was the second one. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't know any of this. I'm sitting home, fat, dumb and happy. It's early in the morning and the phone rings and it's my agent. And she said, how f- how fast can you get to when she gave me an address in Santa Monica? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll jump in the car right now. I, it depends on the freeway. Well, do your best. Do your best. When you get in the car, call me. And I had a car phone in those days. <laughs> 11, 1100 bucks for this thing. And it only worked in the car. Anyway, wow. she said, call me when you're in the car and I'll tell you what's going on. So I'm heading north on the 405. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I called her. And she said, oh, yeah, it's for the next Ted, Bill and Ted movie. It's for uh, it's for the uh, scratch track. And you're filling in for Frank Welker. He's sick. <laughs> oh, wow. And those are, believe me, those are the most terrifying words in the English language. You're filling in for Frank Welker. <laughs> I'm that day as the day I did the voice of God and the devil and everything in between. And they said, it was for the scratch track. And they said, if we use any of this, obviously you will be compensated, but and you'll be compensated for the work today, but, you know, you'll get credit and all the rest of it. So uh, that station was one of those things I did that day. Uh, It was one of, you know, maybe 50 things I did. And uh, uh, fortunately, they liked it and left it in, you know. Now, Press Your Luck, is that the the current show or the original? So you're the current announcer on Press Your yeah, Luck. Yes. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Huh. I, I thought, I thought. Yeah, you never, you, you never know. I, I, I never did a game show before. I never really tried to get a game show, and I don't recall any auditions coming along. I had heard, and this was true back in the day, the announcer also had to do audience warm-up. And I had seen guys doing that when I would work on sitcoms. And I thought, mm. I don't think I can do that, you know. Uh, it, it just requires the kind of personality I don't possess. Right. <laughs> right. So I thought, if I have to do warm-up, it's a deal-breaker. I'd love to be an announcer on a game show, but I don't want to do warm-up. Well, as it turns out, uh, you don't have to do warm-up anymore. You can just be the announcer. So, yeah, the, the uh, pre- it's the new Press Your Luck. It's a summer replacement show. Uh, we just, uh, the, the second season just ended. Yep. And uh, we'll see if, if we get to do it again for a third go-around. Well, let's hope. Yeah. I, I remember the yeah. original show. That's why I was going to question is it the original or are you doing both? But I thought I heard, I thought I recognized well, your voice with the, the times I watched the new one. Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching the new one and I never even, I never put it together until just this moment. Well, well I guess this fits in that category of a role that you, that you've done that people don't realize that's you. There you go. We answered that mm-hmm. question without even realizing it. But yeah. is, are there are there any roles that looking back that you feel like you didn't quite get it the way you wanted to, but they just had to accept it? Well, as I've as I said earlier, I'm my own worst critic, <clears throat> so I'm all second guessing everything I do. But uh, you know, eventually you you just decide. Well, either all these hundreds, if not thousands, of people I've worked for over the years, they can't all be unqualified idiots. Uh, you're <laughs> doing something right, 
you know? Um, uh, not, not really. I mean, I, I, you know, I went in and, and, and I gave it 100%, 100% of the time, and usually it worked out. I remember they brought me in to try to do something on a Twisted Sister album. And the guy didn't like what I was doing, threw me out of there. And I've never forgotten that. I mean, what the hell? You know, he doesn't at this point. Nobody does. But I, yeah, yeah, really. That was, that was really humiliating. But uh, no, I, I, you know, I've I done my best. And uh, I, I got no regrets. No. What's the one role um, that you that you went up for that you didn't get that you wish you did? Oh, be careful what you wish for. Well, no, you know, nothing's really coming to mind. Somebody, when I first, when I started out in the business, gave me a great piece of advice, and I've gotten pretty good at it. They said, uh, treat an, every audition like a job, and once you've done the audition, try to forget it as quickly as possible and move on. Because really the rejection, uh, well, when I was at the height of my powers, I would average one job for every 11 auditions. And I mean, compared to the way it is today, that's amazing. People would kill for that kind of a track record. But remember, as good as that was, it's uh, 10 no's for every yes. Mm. So you, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that you read for that you don't get. And you can drive yourself crazy thinking, what did I do wrong? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe the casting people didn't know what the hell they were doing. Or maybe, I mean, it could be any one of a, a million things. And so the best advice you can give an actor is, just forget you did the audition as soon as you walk out of there, if you possibly can. And then if you get the job, it's a lovely surprise. And if you don't, uh, it's gone. It's forgotten. Okay. Yeah, I, like, and, I like that approach. And, uh, I mean, looking at your record, I mean, you, you, you've done a lot of good stuff. So I think it's a pretty good track record overall. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. No, I'm like I say, I gave 100 percent. I can honestly say that I never phoned it in. And, you know, you know, you can always do better. I'm still to this day trying to get better at certain things. But I gave it my best shot. And, and generally speaking, things turned out pretty nicely. I can't complain. Mm. What what are you have coming up in the future that you could talk about? Um, not really anything. Uh, they have us. Uh, you probably heard this from other people. They, they they've gotten us signing these non disclosure agreements. Yep. I, oh yeah, I have signed so many of these things that you know if you divulge <laughs> any part of this project. We get your house, your wife, your kids, and even your pets <laughs> cast into the utter darkness. Sign here, you know. Well, so that's I'm one less, that's one less litter box to be in charge of. <laughs> well, that's a way to look at it. But so I'm terrified of, of discussing anything. Well, everybody pray that they pick up uh, press your luck, yes. and I'll get through that in, next year. Mm. Okay. Um, we mentioned it at the beginning of the show. Uh, unfortunately, it's getting towards the end of the show. Where can people find you online again? Well, if uh, you're interested in my book, which is called Vocal Recall, A Life in Radio and Voiceovers, and you will read many stories along the lines of what we've just been discussing. Some great stories uh, in there. You can go to my website, www.neilbook.com, N-E-I-L-B-O-O-K.com. 
Or put uh, vocal recall Neil Ross into uh, Amazon or uh, Google. It'll take you where you need to go. If you're looking for an audio version, there's one available on my website, but Audible has it as well. And uh, uh, I, I assume you did read the uh, the audio version, yes? Yes. Uh, Excellent. There, there. We Excellent. held extensive auditions, uh, and <laughs> I just happened to win that one. I don't know how <laughs> that happened, but sometimes yeah. you get lucky. Sometimes you get lucky, and I got lucky on that. One. So <laughs> yes, yes, I am your humble narrator. <laughs> That's the only book. That's the only book on tape I've ever done, and it's not on tape, but you know what I mean. I don't think I would ever do another one. Man, that's a lot of work. Is it really? Yeah, I almost fired myself three times. (laughs) You know. (laughs) And yet, here I'm thinking with with Star Wars, um, uh, with uh, is it Random House that's doing it? Or yeah, Penguin Penguin Random House. They're slowly getting into these full cast Mm -hmm. type audiobooks, where it's almost like a a radio Mm. dramatization. I would love to hear you in. I would love to. Do ah, the, the, yeah. the sad secret is really the ideal job for me would have been radio actor. But yeah. uh, the last uh, radio drama went off the air the year I graduated from high school. So that was never going to happen. Animation was. Well, oh, it's kind of making a comeback in a way. Uh, yeah, I would definitely be up for that. No question. No question. I'd I, love to do that. I know. I know. Star <clears throat> Star Wars is doing it. Um, recently, they've had two Dooku Jedi Lost and Doctor Aphra. Uh, Marvel's doing it with a a Wolverine series. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Which they've done a couple of those, and I think they got some others that are going to be coming out. That it's a a full yeah cast, they do full cast mm-hmm. podcast. Type thing and and with uh, Star yeah. Wars, they're doing the the full cast audio audio books, which is almost like a you know radio drama. Which mm-hmm. I think you would be great for those roles. It, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. the, the this this younger generation is getting exposed to these podcasts, and it's almost bringing back the old radio yep. stuff, yeah. which they used to call the theater of the mind. Yep. And you would ah, yes. in front of that radio and sort of uh, stare at the speaker. And these voices and sound effects and music would emit and your imagination would take over. And believe me, the castle in your mind was much better than any castle any set designer could put together, I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. The theater of the mind. And it's being rediscovered with these podcasts, which yeah. I find delightful. I I used to yeah. when I when I used to go to come home from work uh, when I worked in Walmart uh, back in Louisiana I used to listen mm-hmm. to whatever the local TV station was to their ra- radio simulcast feed I mm. knew I knew the show that was on but I enjoyed listening to it more on the radio and imagining what everything looked like than I did mm-hmm. it when I watched it the replay off the VHS tape shows you how old I am because um, it'd be a show that I was recording or it happened to record it and it's like you know what it was more entertaining listening on the radio than it is watching it here so I, I, absolutely, I loved it yeah no I, I I spent I caught the golden age the tail end of the golden age of radio when I was a kid heard a lot of those shows when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old never forgotten it it was uh, it was an amazing an amazing period 
And I, I, I sometimes still listen to the uh, the Golden Age of Radio channel on uh, Sirius Satellite yes. Radio. And yes. Some of those shows, I just, I just love them. They're just wonderful. Um, I, lo- I love when they do the shadow and the, the old Dick Tracy stuff. Mm-hmm. Love all that. And Gunsmoke. Yep. You know, I, I remember being disappointed when it was on television. I mean, I, I, James Arness just did not have Bill Conrad's voice. Yeah. And that, that voice was everything to me. I didn't at the time realize what uh, Bill Conrad looked like. <laughs> I understand why he didn't get the TV job, but uh, <laughs> he sure sounded great on those radio shows. Every Halloween, uh, I I found a copy of it, digital copy of it. Every Halloween, I'll, I'll put on the earbuds and listen on my on my iPod because uh, I still have an older iPod where I could do this. But every Halloween, I'll listen to or the worlds with Orson Welles. Mm, yeah, I, that's yeah. that's become uh-huh. a tradition yeah. for me. It's um, the movies were okay, the the TV series was okay, but God, there was nothing like that actual airing of that show. And the and the mass hysteria that it brought because people because they did such a great job people thought it was real yeah yeah and, and that's become a, a tradition and I can't wait to introduce my daughter to that show because um, she will go nuts over it uh, but I I don't think mentally she's there yet I got a couple more years but she she's gonna love it when when we get to that point <laughs> me introducing her to it it'll be there it'll be yeah. there it's gonna be it'll fun see, yeah well thank you again for for joining us and. Uh, yeah. And entertaining our probably repetitive questions that you've probably been asked many times before. <laughs> no, you guys you guys threw me a few curveballs. That was good. I enjoyed it. Oh, good. Thank, Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it was our pleasure. And oh, any, definitely, yeah. You're welcome back anytime. Just, just let us know. We'd love okay. to have you back, especially with newer projects. All right, I will. Uh, I'll keep. I'll keep you informed. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, on that note, uh, again, go check out Neil at neilross.com, neilbook.com. Find his book, Vocal Recall, on Amazon or on his website. Uh, do like I'm going to do and get that actual physical copy. And like he said, you know, he's got the. Uh, Stickers that he could sign to to throw in the book as well, make it easier. That way, you don't have to send it. Waste the, the time, yeah. especially with the way the post office is at the moment, or any shipping agency is at the moment. Um, you can enjoy the book, wait for it, and then you could put that wherever you want. Be it inside cover, on the front, in the back, on the actual back cover if you wanted. Um, but you could put it where you want and, and have that nice memento from Neil. Who now, in our eyes, you're right up there with Frank Welker. Yeah. You know, you, you've done oh, yeah. so many voices and been so much of our childhood and even our adulthood. Um, to not consider yourself a legend is is a travesty because you are a legend in, in the voice acting world. Well, what what a lovely mm-hmm. thing to say. Well, I'm not. I'm, I beg to differ with you. I'm not a, up on uh, <laughs> Welker's level, but uh, I, re- I very much appreciate what you had to say. Thank you. Thank hey, you. I mean, I, I definitely I mean, want to get some your audio book too. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to get the audio book as well. Here you, here you do that. That's gonna be awesome. Mm. Sounds good. So, on that note, uh, hey Derek, there's only one thing we gotta gotta ask. Want to know more? <laughs> So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club?
This has been a Weeby Geeks production.